Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. How many of y'all glad to be in God's house this morning? Special, it's special to be together, a spiritual family. Um, my name is Professor Pastor Gabe, and welcome once again to our Relationship 101 series. I am really playing it up this morning. I'm just telling you. I even borrowed this UL bag from Hananiah. Come on, UL. Well, good to be with you guys this morning, and uh, of course. Alongside my lovely bride, Lauren, we serve as the lead pastors here at the Bruce R. Campus, and we are ready to dive into God's Word. As you've already heard, we are in the middle of a series, but today is Small Group Sunday, and so you're going to hear a little bit more about that. During the message today, you have the opportunity to leave this room and to connect with one of our small groups. We have Bible studies, we have freedom groups, we have... The, our discipleship groups, and we have our topical groups, so you guys are going to get the opportunity to meet new small group leaders, connect with small group leaders, and hopefully really connect this day today. So anyway, how many of y'all enjoyed Football Sunday last week? Was that fun? Was that good? We had um, Zion Chris, is an incredible godly young man, come in, and he and I were chatting. Um, just We chatted a little bit this week, and I asked him, how was it? You know, and he said, Pastor, I just... I really sense Jesus there. That's a, that's a big deal. Because how many of you know, we don't do this to impress people. We don't do this to have quote unquote celebrities. We do this to honor Jesus. Come on. Y'all agree with that? And for someone who doesn't know you to come in and say, I just sense the presence of God there with you guys. And so just something really, really special. Anyway, we're continuing in our series, Relationship 101, so I want to pray and dive right into God's Word. Father, we love you. We are grateful to you. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. Lord, the gift of being together with spiritual family, lifting our hands, lifting our voices, and now to hear your Word. And Lord, I, I pray that this Word would shape us. Pray that you would God, touch the deepest recesses of our, our hearts, our souls, God. Get to places that we've stubbornly resisted you. Speak to those places today. Lord, heal those places that have been sensitive to the touch. Come with your word, Lord, like a salve, I pray, and heal souls. I pray you would renew our minds today. Our minds are full of the things our society and our culture and the world has told us. This is who you are. This is how you're supposed to be, Lord. Renew our minds. Renew our minds with your word. Teach us what your word has to say. You define us. You are our dad. The job of a father is to define. Define your people. Define your church. And I pray for healing in today. In this sermon, in this word, I pray healing would take place. Do what only you can do. And I ask once again, Father... Glorify Jesus, your son, through me as we talk about this relationship that so closely represents you and us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. I mentioned this in our first week of this series, Relationship 101, that you can find the greatest joy and the greatest heartache and pain in the same place. Relationships. Relationships. Isn't it amazing how the people that are the closest to you can bring you such a joy and get on your last nerve all at the same time? <laughs> right? So today's message, we're talking about relationships 101, but in particular, marriage 101. Today is the marriage portion. Two weeks ago, we spoke to the singles. Come on, single people. Where y'all at? Raise that, raise that left hand up. Come on, the one without the ring. And we spoke to friendships. We spoke about choosing our friends wisely. And even last week, we talked about having the right team around us. But today, we're focusing on marriage. And really, next week, so today is Marriage 101. 
Next week is going to be Marriage 201, and you're going to get to hear from me and Miss Lauren. We're both going to be up here speaking. That's right. And so that's going to be a good, good, good time. So don't, make sure you don't miss that. I want to tell you something about marriage right out the gate. Marriage, more than any other relationship, I'd say closely tied would be parenting and marriage, are the two relationships that more than any other type of relationship force you to be more like Jesus. Marriage has an ability to force you to decide, I'm either going to be like Jesus or I am not. (laughs) I'm going to walk in the spirit or I'm going all kind of deep in the flesh. Right, marriage has the ability to do that. And I love the way that Dan Elderman and, and um, Trimper, excuse me, Longman III said this. We must never be naive enough to think of marriage as a safe harbor from the fall. The deepest struggles of life will occur in the most primary relationship affected by the fall, marriage. From the very beginning from the initial fall and sin entering into the world, the enemy came with a target on this relationship between man and woman. God even goes as far as to say this, that Jesus and the church are the husband and the bride. We as the church are the bride of Christ and he is the husbandman. So that's how important this marriage relationship is. And I want you to know that in this series, I'm not giving you the latest, greatest information from some book. I'm not giving you the latest fad because some of you guys grew up in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s reading some of those marriage books that seemed really, really good back then. And now they don't make any sense and they were wrong. How many of you remember reading Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus? Some of you ever read that book? How many of y'all use that book as a coaster right now? <laughs> right? And so I don't want to give you information from a book and from some theory. I want to give you wisdom from the ancient book written by the God who created you and who created the institute of marriage. And I want us to see what he has to say about marriage. Are y'all with me? Yes. And here's why this is important. Because even within the church today, Even within the church, the divorce rate is on par with where it is in the world. That means that people are sitting in churches all over the world every single Sunday, lifting up their hands, singing gratitude, and ending the relationship that God called to be the closest to them in their lives every single week. So it's important not only for us to to hear these things, but to apply these things. And I'm just telling you, I'm going to challenge you today. I hope you're okay with that. Even if you're not, I'm going to challenge you today. So just bear with me. Strap in. We're going somewhere. I want you to, I want to help. Listen, my name is Professor Gabe and I'm your friend. (laughs) I am your friend. Let's go right to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. This is what it says. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Now this is written by the apostle Peter and he's speaking to churches in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And it's belief of many that they were persecuted churches, persecuted people who, were, who had to leave and flee persecution and go to these different provinces and these, these different regions. And he's writing this book and he's, he's teaching them. Not, he's not saying, hey, this is how you pray. He's not saying, this is how you read your Bible. He's saying, this is how you live. I want to teach you how to live in such a way that you can represent Jesus well everywhere that you go. 
He's teaching them how to live. And one of the things that he teaches them is to submit to the governing authorities. What does that have to do with marriage? I'm going to get there. Just track with me. He's teaching them this principle of submission, submitting to the authorities in our lives, submitting even to the governing authorities that we don't agree with. Can I just tell you something as a side note? We are called as Christians and believers to submit to the governing authorities even when we don't like them. We are called to pray for the governing authorities even when we didn't vote for them. Even if you have a, their picture in a, on a dartboard at your house, you're still called to pray for them and to honor them. And I know that that's like, that's so challenging. Let me clear up something. We're not called to submit to sin. If the government is telling you to do something that is against the word of God, we submit to a higher authority in those cases. We submit to Jesus. We submit to God's word. But if you're driving down the road and speeding and you get pulled over, you don't get to tell the police officer you're free from the law. You get a ticket or you go to jail. Right? We are called to submit to the governing authorities. I don't know if I agree with you, Pastor. You don't have to. His word just said it. You're really showing me who you disagree with. Some of which the governing authorities in this day were persecuting them. They were literally trying to kill these Christians and to stamp out Christianity. Yet, Peter still says, honor them. What is he trying to teach them? That how they live represents Jesus. And he goes on to say this in chapter two, again, same chapter, verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. And it's really interesting that Peter would say, hey, follow, submit, just like Jesus' example, even in suffering. Jesus, who was the Lord of all, who was there in creation, there was nothing made that he was not a part of, submitted himself to the governing authorities and went to the cross. That's mind-blowing. The Bible says he could have called down 12 legions of angels, and legion is a thousand. He could have called down 12,000 angels in a moment to get him off that cross, but instead he submitted, number one, to the will of God, which meant that he was also submitting to the governing authorities of his day. I am not telling you submit to sin. We do not submit to sin. But outside of that, we are called to honor. And as he lays this groundwork, as Peter lays this groundwork of submission, he goes on in the next chapter. Let me say this. Let me, I, I want to make sure I add this because I'm, I'm not going to read this for the sake of time. But right after that, he goes on and he says, slaves, submit to your masters. And I've heard the argument. See, that's why I don't believe in Christianity because it's, it's pro-slavery. Are you kidding me? Do you really think that? Do you really genuinely believe that the Bible is pro-slavery? Let me help you. It's not. In the Bible, you have what's called descriptive language and prescriptive language. When you are describing, descriptive means it's describing what's happening. So Peter is talking to people who are already enslaved, and he's saying, no matter what position of life you are in, you make sure that you show honor. You make sure that you submit and you honor. Prescriptive that's what he's telling them, but he's describing what's actually going on. So the Bible's describing slavery, but it prescribes love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it tells us to do. Prescribe like a prescription, like so this is what you need to do. It tells us you need to love your neighbor and honor and submit, right? Treat people fairly. That's what it tells us to do. It's not saying that it's for slavery, just for clarity's sake. If any of you have ever bought into that lie that society will try to tell you in order to keep you, it's really the devil to try to keep you away from Jesus. Sorry, I got a little passionate on that one. <laughs> then he goes on in chapter three, same book. By the way, there's no such thing as chapters when they were writing this. This was one continuous thought. This was one letter that Peter was writing. But for us in chapter three, verse one, he goes on and he says this, in the same way, 
That's very important. I'm going to come back to that. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Now, the Bible is using the same, the word submission is the saying accept the authority and submit to it. It's the same word that it used when talking about the governing authorities. It's the Greek word hupostasis, excuse, excuse me, hupostaso. And it basically means to arrange under or to subordinate, to subordinate. This is what Peter is saying. Accept the authority, accept the role of authority, wives, that God has given your husbands. They are the head of the home. And I know right out the gate as I say that, some of you, your mind goes to everything that culture has told you. You're not less than a man. You're not blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm going to clarify some of those things in a moment. But can I tell you this? From the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, when God was telling them the effects of the sin, of sin being brought into the earth and the curse, one of the things that God told Eve was, Eve, you're going to desire your husband. That doesn't mean you're going to think your husband's hot. What it meant was you're going to desire his place of authority in your home. As per the curse, you're going to desire to be the head of your home and subordinate the order that God has designed. That's what he was saying. So from the curse, that's, that's what causes us to battle and fight for the place of, of the position of leadership within the home. That's why, ladies, it's so important. Please hear me, single ladies, as I say this. Young ladies, please hear me as I say this. Don't miss this. That's why it's so important that you, when you're picking your husband, you're not picking him based off of your emotions and how he looks. Because you are picking the leader that you're going to follow for the rest of your life. You get the opportunity and the blessing to pick the leader you're going to follow. If you base that decision based off of his abs and his hair in 20 years, neither one of them are going to be there. It's true. Pick the man that you can follow. Pick the man that's going to lay his life down leading you and your family well. Now, let me tell you what the Bible is not saying. What it is not saying here is women submit to men. Didn't say that. Let me clarify that. Women are not less than men. The Bible even goes on in the same chapter to say you are co-equals in Christ. So you're not less than a man. What it's saying is your role as a wife is to follow the authority of your husband. Ladies, don't follow the authority of a man who's not your husband. You don't have to follow every man. That's not what the Bible is saying. It's saying there is a positional leadership within the marriage. There is a role within the marriage. I'm going to keep going, men. You're coming, ladies. Don't get too upset. And it's also not saying submit to sin. It's also not saying that if your husband, who may be an unbeliever, is trying to get you to sin, you don't submit to that. Because, again, the ultimate authority is Jesus. That's what we submit to. It's also not saying, because it talks about adorning yourself, and all, it's also not saying don't take care of yourself. It's not at all what it's saying. As a matter of fact, some scholars believe that in that day, when a woman got all like decked out and whatever they decked out in 30 AD, however that looked, what, they, what I, some scholars believe, and I tend to agree with this, believe this, they were saying, hey, I'm available. I'm available. So it's potential, potentially what Peter is saying here is don't honor your husband by getting out there and flaunting yourself. Honor your husband's by your quiet and meek spirit. That's how you honor your husband's. Well, pastor, that's not my personality. 
I'm strong. Can I just tell you something? We're not against strong women in this church. God made you strong. God designed you to be strong. And like I said before, we are pro-strong women, but we're pro-stronger men. We are pro-stronger men, men rising up to be the leaders that they are supposed to be within their home. Pastor, you against strong women? Have you met my wife? For some of you, have you met my mom? Most of you, have you met Lily, my youngest daughter? Not at all. But here's the thing. Your personalities may be strong and domineering, but there's something required of you called meekness. And meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. It's learning how to control your strength. It's learning how to temper your strength. It's something that is said of Jesus, that Jesus was meek. This is the man who had the ability to do anything he wanted because he created it all, but rather, the Bible says he would not have even bruised a reed. That's how gentle he was. A person who can let their emotions fly wherever they want to is not strong. That is the a pure epitome of weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Y'all with me? The Bible says that that's precious to God. Then Peter goes on to address the men. And he says this, verse 7, in the same way, again, we're coming back to that word, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. That's strong. I want to go back to this for a moment because it's very important. It begins by saying in the same way. I want you to see the progression of thought here. In the same way as wives submit to your husbands, in the same way as slaves submit to your masters, in the same way as submit to the governing authorities, the whole thought of what he's trying to teach us is the role of submission. And then he even tells the husbands in the same way, what is he implying? Submit to your wives. That means that every time you've pulled out that scripture, man, submit to me, the Bible says she could probably do the same. Because we submit to them as well, but the way we submit is different. We submit by laying our lives down to lead them well. We submit by dying to what we want so that they are taken care of. Her needs are met. Her soul is tended to. That is how we submit ourselves to them. We don't do what we want. We do what's best for everyone. Are y'all with me? I want to unpack this, and it continues to say, it says, dwell, treat your wife with understanding. You want to know why it says that? Because we don't understand them. That's why it tells us that. It says, treat them with understanding as you live together. And it says, she may be, the weak, or she may be weaker than you. By and large, in that day and time, women were not as strong as men. Nowadays, some of that's changed. Okay. But by and large, it's relatively the same, that men are physically stronger than the wives that they're married to. But I believe it's saying something even deeper than that. This is my, this is my belief in how I read the text. I believe it's speaking to the amount of value that we give them. When you're dealing with a rock, you can treat it one way. When you're dealing with a piece of china, you treat it another. It's weaker, but it's more valuable and you tend to it, you consider it, you care for it, you treat it as, you don't treat it as common. As a matter of fact, I've told you before what that word honor means. Honor comes from, again, the Greek word timi, that simply means value. When you honor something, it means you value it. You don't treat it like it's common. You don't treat it like it's everything else. You, it, you show greater honor to it. So when the Bible is telling us to honor our wives, husbands, it's telling us to value them. To value them. Remember how you valued her when you were first dating her? How many of you remember that? 
You were opening car doors, opening doors as she walked up. Some of you are wondering why your marriage is a wreck. It's because you stopped doing the things you did to get her. Man, it's quiet in this church. (laughs) They used to say it like this in the old school church. It's tight, but it's right. Treat them with understanding. Treat them as the weaker vessel. So pastor, well, let me just say this. It says, so your prayers aren't hindered. That's a very strong point to make. I don't understand that, pastor. Let me tell you what I believe that this text is saying. Have you ever tried praying together with your spouse when you're in the middle of a heated argument? How many of you feel revival breaking out in your home when that happens? How many of you feel like it's just an open heaven and and the angels are flying? No, it's like dry as a bone. Your prayers are hindered when your unity with your spouse are not intact. It's just a part of it. So, this is what I'm saying. If you don't get anything else from this message, and I'm going to get into some practicals. Way more practicals next week, as you guys hear from my wife and I. Way more practicals. That's going to be in 201. Right now, you got to endure 101. Here's the heart of what I'm saying. At the core of your marriage needs to be two things, submission to one another and honor for one another. Some of you are wondering how to fix things. Submit to one another and honor and show value to one another. Well, she's this and she's that. Are you submitting and honoring? Well, pastor, if you understood him, okay, I'm not talking to him, I'm talking to you. When I'm counseling people and they come into my office, listen, I don't even like counseling people when they're individual. Like when there's a marriage conflict and one man comes and she's doing this and this and I counsel her and he's this and this and then you get them together and you go, oh, now I get the full story. Right? But I will tell them from time to time if they are individual, listen, thank you for telling me everything about her. I would tell her something if she was here, but she's not. So I'm going to tell you what I see in you. So don't look, they're doing this. I want you to walk out of this room going, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? Are you submitting to one another? Are you honoring and valuing one another? It's very practical. Wives, are you submitting to the leadership of your husband? Husbands, are you honoring and valuing them? If not, here's the question. How's that going? If you're doing it the way the books told you, how's that going? If you're doing it the way society or the way your parents or the way their parents' parents, how's that going? I want to very practically say this. I want to go down a list of some lessons. We're going to start with Wife 101, and then we're going to go right into Husband 101. And I promise you'll have enough time to go to Burger King as you leave. Let me say this first, submission, that word sub means to come underneath, which implies submission means coming underneath a greater mission. And the mission of your family, the mission of your home, the mission of what God can do in you if you just come underneath his plan. Wife 101, lesson number one, if you're taking those ladies, write this down. Use your words to build him up instead of tearing him down. Use your words to build him up instead of tearing him down. You have no idea how powerful your words are. You have the ability, ladies, to make him feel like the greatest man alive or to make him feel like the silliest child alive. Your words carry that weight. Your words carry that power. There are two women in a man's life that can make or break him, his mom and his wife. And both of those things are predicated on the words that they say over him. I know he's not perfect. I know he makes some bonehead decisions. But you can push him further. Most men, most men, some of us are just dense. It takes us a while. Most of us know when we've done something dumb. We know when we've failed. We know when we've messed up. 
but your words have the ability to encourage him to keep going to do the right thing or to make him feel like I will never be anything more than a failure. Your words carry that weight. Your words carry that power. Even behind his back, there's nothing, there's nothing so special like a man finding out that his wife is saying great things about him, not just in front of his face, but behind his back. Do you tell other ladies how amazing your husband is? Well, that just seems corny. That seems cheesy. Okay, then miss out on this blessing. And for some of you, it's like, that doesn't feel natural. Let me help you with marriage, okay? When it comes to marriage, I can remember my wife and I when we first got here to OSC 10 years ago. I was more married to ministry than I was to her. It's a fact. It's the truth. And our marriage was not in a very good place at all when we first got here 10 years ago. We were fighting. We were arguing. I can remember one time, I was telling a couple of this recently, only God. We're in the middle of an argument, living in the duplexes back there, and somehow her phone was on the kitchen table, and it went off, and the number that it happened to call was my pastor, who got to hear the entirety of our argument. Tell me that wasn't God. And I can remember the, some of the arguments and the back and forth and the stuff that we had. And I can remember her one, one time, my wife was making a concerted effort to not be so cutting with her words. And I, we were in the middle of an argument and I saw her catching herself and not saying something. And you know what I did, man? Why are you being fake? I know you want to say that. I'll oh, come away though. This is church, not Jerry Springer. So hold on. But I was like, why are you being so fake? And I remember going to my pastor and he said, why would you do that? You know it doesn't come natural to her to do this. But she's making the concerted effort to try and change. So encourage her to go forward instead of calling out her effort. So what am, why did I tell you all of that? I'm not sure. But why did, I'm joking. <laughs> I told you that to say, at times, it's not going to feel natural, but that doesn't mean it's not right. Build him up with your words in front of him and in his absence. Number two, ladies, let him lead. Let him lead. Remember this, as the leader, your husband is responsible by God for your family. When he stands before God, he's not just standing before God for how he lived his life. He's standing before God for how he tended to your family. That is his weight and his responsibility to bear. And every time you make it difficult for him to lead, you make his job 10 times harder. And you cause him to question himself 10 times more. And you make him more insecure. And you know this as well as I do. Insecure leaders don't make great decisions. Let him lead. Will he do dumb things? I promise you he will. I can assure you he, he will. He will need your wisdom. He will need your advice. He, will, he, will, he needs to honor your words, but he also needs to lead. Some of you are so exhausted because you keep taking the reins of leadership in your home and you were never designed by God to do that. God designed his broad shoulders to carry that weight. You have the ability to empower him to make decisions. Give him the wisdom that he needs. And some of us, some of you, excuse me, you, you sit back and you wait for him to fail so you can say, I told you so, instead of getting on your knees and praying that God gives him the wisdom to make the right decision. I know it's tight, but it's right. Don't email me after this message either. I don't know if I can let go, Pastor. You, have, you don't know what he could become when he feels the weight of making the decisions for your family. I rethink decisions I have to make when I know she trusts me. When I know I'm the one who's going to have to make this call, I feel the weight of it and I try to lead it well. I'm going to go back to something. Well, let me just say this. I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold that. Number three. Number three. Pray for him. 
Pray for him. He knows when he's not leading well. And there's times where you can tell him and tell him, and you should tell him. But there comes a point in time where if he's not listening to you, you pray that God will speak to him because he'll listen to God. He'll yield to God. And he needs your wisdom again, but he also needs your prayers. Pray for him. God, give my husband wisdom. Lord, help him. I know he's dealing with these things. Help him. Pray for him. Number four. I'm going to fly through these so I can hurry up and get to the men. Meet his needs. Meet his needs. And I'm not going to go too far in this. We will talk, go more further into all of the practicals next week. But I am primarily talking about meeting his needs sexually. Meeting his needs sexually. You have, ladies, the ability to meet a God-given need inside of your husband that only you can meet. Only you can meet. If you want to see a frustrated man, watch a man. Look at a man who is not having that sexual need met in his life by the woman, the only person who can give it to him. You want to know why he's angry all the time? He's frustrated. He's frustrated. Don't use that as a manipulation tactic. Don't withhold that. Because when you do, you think you're hurting him, but you're really hurting y'all. And you're hurting your family. Meet that need in his life. Listen, the way that you feel about communication and intimacy, he feels that way. About physical intimacy. He feels that way. You feel connected when your emotions are connecting and you're talking and you're intimate in this communication. He feels that way when you're physically intimate. And he's frustrated when that's not there. Only you can meet that need. Should that be demanded of you? Of course not. Of course not. But is that something that you should freely give? Of course you should. Within the context of marriage, single people, don't you take this message. In the context of one man and one woman in the sight of God in devotion to one another. Got to add that because I know it's 10 o'clock. <laughs> it is a big deal. It is a big deal. It's something that's met in his soul when that happens and it's not when it's not. Husbands, to you, before all the ladies leave. Husbands 101, consider her. Now, men, let me just tell you this. Take notes. Because if you're not and you're sitting next to your wife, let me help you. Show her that you are listening. Take notes. Consider her. Do you ever stop men and think about your wives? Let me just stop there for a moment. Do you ever stop in the middle of your busy work day? Do you ever stop and go, let me just think about her? I wonder how she's doing. Let me text her and tell her I love her. Let me just stop and tell her I'm thinking of you. That's called considering your wife. And maybe you grew up similar to me or other men where you feel your primary responsibility is just to provide and that's the way that you show that you love. That's very important. Excuse me, you should not neglect that and many in this generation do. Some of your love language needs to be a J-O-B. Get a job. It's funny, but it is truth. Don't tell her you love her and not show her. But don't just show her and not tell her. Because for some of you, you go, well, I, Pastor, I told her I loved her when we got married. If it changed, I'll let her know. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I'm not even Catholic, but a Numen de Padre, Padre de Fili, Espiritu Santo. <laughs> Do you stop to check on how she is? Let me tell you something. Your wife is your garden. As a matter of fact, that word husband is a gardening term. I don't know if you know that or not, but a husbandman is someone who tends to a garden and you have what you are producing. 
You have what you are producing. A, heart, a gardener, a husbandman, they go to the garden and there may be weeds that they got to pull out. There may be times where they need to let the sun get in and they have to water it. They have to work it. That is how, husbands, you have to lead your wives. If you plant apple seeds, what do you get? If you plant orange seeds, what do you get? If you plant nothing, you know what you get? Weeds. Weeds. When you are not tending to your wife and you're not speaking truth into your wife, you know who is? The devil. As a matter of fact, when Eve fell, we don't know where Adam was. But he, did, he either didn't step up to the plate to block the serpent or he wasn't there tending to her when the serpent came. Man, you have what you are tending to. Check on her heart. Ask her what's in her heart. Speak truth where there's lies. Let me help you, men, as well. Engage in conflict. We don't like that, I know. Some of you would much rather fist fight three men in a bar than have an argument with your wife. <laughs> that is a fact, ladies. I know you don't get that, but it really is a fact. Because at least with the fight, it's over in like five minutes. Sometimes you have to be willing to engage the conflict because it's for the greater good of your home. Because only you can get in there and pull out some of those lies and tend to those things. You have a responsibility. Consider her. Think about her. Check on her. Baby, how's your heart? How's this going? How are you feeling right now? Are we good? Is everything okay? Number two, honor her with your eyes. Honor her with your eyes. Men, don't think for a moment your wife doesn't notice when you're comparing her to other women. Don't think for a moment your wife doesn't notice when you are looking at everything else instead of the gift that he gave you. I've talked a lot about how the wives need to build up your self-esteem. Won't you try building up hers? The Bible tells us that you can control and set your affections. Did you know that? We're not animals where we just have to do every impulse that comes to our body. That's very freeing for some of you. I hope you know that. Colossians 3 tells us to set our affections on things above. It, it connotes, it gives this idea that you have the ability to set what you're going to be affectionate about. Some of you need to set your affections back on your wife. Instead of going, she's not this or she's not that, be grateful for her. And I know I'm, this is a lot of information, and if you have kids, please cover their ears when I say this. But Proverbs even tells us, let the breast of your wife satisfy you. The wife of your youth. Let her satisfy. Set your affections on her. Instead of walking around going, I like that, I like that, I like that. Look at her and go, I love that. You can control that. Some of you need to rediscover your wives. You need to sit down and fall in love with her again. Set your affections. Honor her with your eyes, men. Number three, cover her. Cover her. And I mean a number of different things with that, but primarily I'm talking about praying for her. Pray for your wife daily. It's so simple, yet it's something that is so easy to not do. Some of you have heard in this church for 10, 15, 20 years, pray for your wife, pray for your wife, pray for your wife every day, and you just still don't. Or you tried it for a month, and then you got busy, and you stopped. Make it a point to invite the presence of God into your home and into your marriage. Every night, grab a hold of your wife and pray for her. Listen, there are some nights when she may be asleep, still pray for her anyway. There may be nights when you're in conflict, still pray for her anyway. But even beyond those moments, grab that hand. Baby, I'm gonna invite God, Father, help us. And you don't have to be Pastor Paul and Neil and have an amazing 15 minute long eloquent prayer. You don't have to touch heaven like Pastor Randy. Some of your prayers need to simply be, help us! 
help us. Right? Pray. Make it simple. Ask God for his help. Let me tell you something, man. When it comes to making decisions, your wife's desire security. It is innate with any woman to desire security. And you can build that security up by inviting the wisdom of God into your decision making, or you can tear it down by continuously making dumb decisions over and over and over and over again. Let me tell you something about my wife. My wife is strong and wise and smart, but when it comes to the big decisions in our life, she trusts me. She trusts me. And you want to know why she trusts me? Because I have a track record of following Jesus in my decision making. That's why. I wish she would trust me. Because if you keep making selfish decisions that only benefit you, why should she trust you? If I'm going to tell them to submit to you, I'm going to challenge you to lead well. To lead well. She trusts me. Big decisions, she trusts me. Now, whether or not directions when walking around D.C., that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but I can go to my wife, baby. I feel like God wants us to do this. You know what she says most of the time? Whatever you think, I trust you. That both builds me up and it puts the weight on me to make sure that I'm making this decision the right way. Lead your wives well. Cover them, pray for them. Invite God into the decisions of your family. Invite the counsel of others. When you have covering in your life, it also provides covering for your marriage. When my wife knows that I can go to a James Bertrand or a Jane, or Jeremy Ushery, my best friend, or talk to some of Josh Barker, my brother-in-law, and I'm going to get covering for our marriage and wisdom, that brings security. As a matter of fact, when I do wedding ceremonies, if I end up marrying any of you, you'll see me do this. I typically take a step back and I challenge the bridal party. And I tell everyone in the bridal party that prior to this moment, your responsibility was to do what was best for him and your responsibility was to do what was best from her. But from this moment on, they are now one. And the reason you are here is to provide covering and protection for them as one. It's one. Get covering. Number four, and I'm almost done. Date her date her. And again, I know that's so simple, but it's so often neglected. Date her. This is what happens when you actually take your wife out on a date. It shows her, I value you, not just all the stuff you do for our family. I value you as a person. Guess what? Get dressed up again. I don't like getting dressed up. Shut up. Get dressed up and take your wife out. I'm trying to help. I love you. Sorry that was harsh. I apologize. I've learned to say that a lot in marriage. I'm sorry. I don't have a lot of money, Pastor. Take her to Starbucks. Go sit down. And listen, ladies, I know y'all wanted me to say Charlie G's, but if you're on a budget, take her to Starbucks. But sit down and just make her feel heard. Make sure she knows there is communication between the two of you. And you are not only valuing all that she produces for you, you are valuing who she is. Wives, let me just tell you this. Please hear me. Even when your husbands have not seen you, God does. Even when your husbands haven't recognized you and you just seem like a producer, right? When you have babies, you're the milk producer. And when he comes home, you're the producer for his needs. Some of you, even in this message, you felt like it's heaped weight on you. That is not the heart. But the heart is... God values you, he loves you, and he wants you to represent the church with Jesus. Submit, honor, men, lay down your lives for them. Lead them well, see them, value them, 
look in her eyes again instead of looking past her to see what's for dinner. Ask her how her day was. Ask her how her day was. And how about this? Don't be on your phone looking at Facebook when she answers. The last one, number five. You initiate. You initiate. And that has a lot of different meanings. Oh, pastor, I just wish my wife was more physically intimate with me. Do you initiate it? Well, I'm scared she'll reject me. Get over that. Initiate it. Initiate it. Well, we need to be in a small group. Well, have you initiated that? I wish she was coming to church with me. Have you asked her to? Have you gotten the family up and helped with the kids and say we're going to church? Let me help you. You're the leader. Leaders lead. Leaders initiate. We need to have a tough conversation, Pastor Gabe, and she won't. Then you start it. Leaders lead. You being the leader of your home doesn't give you the free pass to do whatever you want. It gives you the weight and responsibility to lead it well. I'm closing. I think y'all are done. 201's coming. Why should we have a good marriage? Because we belong to Jesus, that's why. Why should I submit to my spouse? Because I'm submitted to Jesus. There are many, many times that I've not wanted to do the right thing by that woman and she's not wanted to do the right thing by me. But you wanna know one of the common threads? We're both submitted to Jesus. And we know that's what he wants for us. So we do the hard thing and we do it his way and because we do it his way, he blesses us. We don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a good marriage. 15 years is coming upon us. We got married 26, 27, 15 years, March 1st. Yeah. Has it always been easy? Every ounce of it's been worth it. Every ounce of it's been worth it. And she has forced me to be more like Jesus. And I have forced her to be more like Jesus. That's the goal of marriage. And lastly, I'll say this. It takes, you've heard the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to keep a marriage together. When you need an example, maybe you've never had one. Maybe you've never seen what a healthy marriage is supposed to look like. And even the ones you see on TV, you find out behind closed doors, they're not saints. I encourage you, when you find one, you latch onto it like a pit bull. Until you find out how they got that, what they did, what it took. I sat here preaching in the first service and Pastor Paul and Miss Lynn sat right there on the front row. And you know who amened me more than any other person in this service? Lynn Neal, who's been married for 40 plus years and knows that what I'm saying from God's word is true and it's living proof of it. When you find the example, attach yourself. That's why we recommend these small groups. Because you're going to need somebody to call when you're trying to live this out and it's hard. You're going to need to come sit down with somebody. You're going to need an example to follow. That's why we recommend these groups. Get in one. Get in one of the Bible studies when I'm hammering men on how to be a man of God. Let your wives, wives, you get in one of those Bible studies when my wife is up here and she's teaching ladies. This is how to pray. This is how to spend time with God. How to be a godly mom. How to be a godly wife. Get in these environments. Get in one of these freedom groups when you get free from the junk that keeps you from being able to live out the things that I'm talking about. Get in another one of these types of groups and get the people around you to surround your marriage because like I said before, this is how men fall, this is how marriages fall. They fall alone. Alone. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I pray that you drive within our hearts submission for one another and submission to you and honor and value 
for one another. If you're here sitting next to your spouse, I want you to grab their hand right now. I know there's some movement going on, but this is you and your spouse. Grab their hands. Father, I pray for the union that you brought together. And I ask that by your spirit, you would initiate repentance. You would initiate the I'm sorry's. You would spur the conversations that need to happen, even the ones that need to get worse before they get better. But I pray for healing and health. God, I pray that they can value one another again and look at each other's eyes once again and love each other. I pray, God, you give her the grace to be seen by you and appreciated and valued, but to also say, I'm gonna follow the man that you gave me, God, to lead. And for him to say, I see my wife again. My eyes are opened up again. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. And they would see her as that gift that you entrusted to them. Your word says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Reminding all of us of the good thing you've given us. If you're here and your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, Marriage is a great picture of the relationship of Jesus and the church, of us laying our lives down for our bride. That's what Jesus did. And I want to tell you that the reason why he laid his life down for his bride, for us, is because we were far away from the Father. Our sin separated us from God. And nothing we could do could get us back to him apart from Jesus coming. And he did that so that you could have a right relationship with the Father once again. We call that being born again. Because Jesus himself said this to a religious man, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. What does that mean? It's just like it sounds. The old you dies and the new you arises and you become a new creation free from sin. Your sin's forgiven in right relationship with God. Jesus, by his spirit, is offering that to some of you even this morning. And you need that. And you're only a decision away from being a child of God. How do I do that, Pastor? We say it's as simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your heart, in your life, that you separates you from a holy, just, righteous God who is sinless. But then B, you believe after you admit the truth. B, you believe that Jesus died on that cross to wash away every sin you've ever committed. Everything you've ever done could be washed away by his blood. And you can stand before God sinless because of that blood. And C, you confess. Confess that he is now your Lord. That he defeated death by rising again from the dead on the third day. And all authority has been given to him, including the authority in your life. That you're going to follow him from this moment on. As you answer that call. If you're here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to pray with you. As you make that decision to follow him. The count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. If you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be right with God. I want to be born again. I'm committing to follow him. So with no one looking around on the count of three, I'm asking you to lift up your hand. And I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer. One, two, three. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all over. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Praise God. Anyone else? Praise God. You can put it down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together as we close. Say, dear Lord Jesus. I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God the Father. 
I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. And I will follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name.